Hello, and welcome back to the CSW Podcast. My name is Cyrus Rosen, and I'm your host. Big shout-outs, as always, to Irvin Mayfield, our sound editor and producer, as well as Dr. Prisco, our faculty producer. Today is the third installment of my lovely conversation with Rashad Harnett, and today we will cover his process when covering a story, all the way from pre-production through production, and finally the editing process and the philosophy that goes behind telling a compelling story. With no further ado, let's get right to it, and I hope you enjoy. So whether you're working with a journalist or, as you said, self-enterprising and going out and you guys are the ones who are finding and telling those stories, what's the process maybe from, you know, what level of pre-production are you guys doing through, you know, on the day of the shoot through the editing process? What does that look like? Uh, and that's for when we're working with reporters or... Either one. I mean, does the process differ between the two? Every the thing about it is that you know, working as a videographer at the at the, at the Inquirer, you kind of learn every reporter that you're working with works differently, you know. And so, if I'm going to be collaborating with another reporter, I have to kind of fine tune the process to what's going to work for us and our dynamic, because some reporters prefer to you know, um, do extensive academic research prior to reaching out to sources on the ground so that they have that, like, background um, and maybe can anticipate things that will come up um, before talking to the people who are the vulnerable people. Um, Other reporters want to just get out there. some of them have better communication skills than others or just aren't used to working with people. So it looks different, but generally, you know, I the way I at least prefer to do the work is to have a conversation, you know, first about what our intentions are, what our visions are for the story. Um, what do we want people to walk away with? What do we want them to feel? What do we want them to know? And um, who do we need to talk to in order to make that happen? Right. Um, I think a big thing that I always try to consider with all of my stories is how do I, like, what, like, so, so what, you know, like, what is the so what? Why should people care about this? Um, And what is it that it speaks to at a deeper level? You know, so if we're doing a story about, like, I did a video about a dog hospice recently, and it was a couple who turned their home into a hospice shelter 
for terminally ill dogs. And they had more than 20 dying dogs in the home pretty much at a time. And it was very deep. Um, their reasoning for doing it went very deep. It wasn't just, this is, a, this is charity for us. This is something that we could, thought we could do, you know, whatever. It was, I used to be a nurse um, at a hospice and I didn't like, you know, the ways in which the attitude was, you know, that, that dying wasn't an acceptable outcome for these patients. Um, and I wanted to ease their transition and give them the things that they needed. And that translates to all living creatures, even those who aren't human. And like thinking about why would this connect with somebody? Um, that's kind of the first question that I asked myself. Like if I was someone who knew nothing about this, industry or this subculture or whatever the case would I still care and what would make me care there's always a connection yeah um and I think you know going into the like production part of the process uh with that in mind informs everything it informs the shots that you get it informs the questions that you ask it informs the way that you edit the piece. Um, it's kind of a bit of psychology, like, especially when I'm sitting down and editing, I'm very much thinking to myself, how is an outsider experiencing this story at this point? How is this shot going to translate to a person's emotional like response? Um, and so yeah, that that is something that's always on my mind, even from the first step. And then it's just doing it. Yeah, those are the things you're considering before you go into a shoot. You kind of, you know, whether it's a level of background research, but you really have to think about why are we doing this shoot in the first place? You know, what is the story that either we're trying to tell or what is the story that the world needs to hear? Mm-hmm. And so that informs the decisions you make about, you know, what shots, as you said, you need to get, what kind of coverage you're trying to do, what kind of questions you're going to ask in any form of interview. And then moving into the production stage, you know, and I'm sure this is very dependent on the situation, but what kind of, you know, equipment you need to bring with you to a shoot, you know, what kind of audio equipment, what kind of camera, what kind of lenses, are you bringing any lighting? Mm-hmm. Are you depending on the natural light of the environment? Can you kind of go into that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think about an example. So I'm working on a story right now about a woman who is a pastor at a church here in Philly. Um, she has basically, since the pandemic started, you know, had to resort to Facebook Lives for her sermons. So she's giving her sermons over Facebook Live. Um, but at the same time, uh, she has her own personal life, right? 
So there's all these things that she's dealing with personally while still trying to cater to a community who needs to hear this message, especially now. She has a newborn baby that was born three months premature, which is extremely premature, and that therefore, you know, is actually very susceptible to um, to to lung infections and to viruses that could put it at it, it's it's an immunocompromised baby ultimately right um and then she has a husband who is an essential worker who works at a grocery store who could be picking things up and bring them home um so how does she navigate that you know um while also being a minister and a pastor to a community of people who are depending on her, right? So there's a lot of elements there. And I'm thinking to myself again, like, why would someone care? This is a story that's not supposed to just be about faith during, well, I should say, the story is about faith during the coronavirus, but it needs to cater to people who are not just religious. Um, And so it's not just about whether or not you believe in God, it's very much about this like universal human condition of still engaging faith um, even during darkness. And the, the, like what aspect of her will keeps her going while she's navigating all of these things? Like, where does that come from? Um, and that's what I wanted to touch on. So I'm like, okay, if I'm going to go out there, I know I'm not going to be able to go inside her home because she's extremely, you know, of course she's safeguarding her child and that we wanted to be safe, um, first and foremost. So we decided we weren't going to go in the house, but we still need to get intimate shots of her and her family. And it needs to feel like you're there. You need to feel that type of vulnerability um, that she feels with her child. And that means we're gonna need to get really, really close up. <laughs> um, and so I, I went out there with long lenses, with telephoto lenses, where we could have the doorway, the door open. Well, actually, sorry, not even even before that happened, I FaceTimed her and asked if she could show me the house so that I could have a layout of what it looked like. So the bottom of the bottom of the home, you know, you open the doorway, the first thing you see is like the living room and you can pretty much see the entirety of the living room from the doorway and then into the dining room. You can see that too. And then there's windows on the side of the house. So I basically went there and shot out the doorway. You know, unfortunately that day it was pretty cold so they had to like crack open the like panel in the doorway so that I could inch the lens under it um, and just get the shots that I could from that one position. Um, and that was difficult, but it ended up working because I was able to get as close up as possible. You know, you could still see those details in like the baby's face or in like the really careful way that she was caring for the baby, um, feeding it and like, you know, 
um, the all of the small details were going to be what set the story apart visually. Um, and I went into the, I used the windows too. I was shooting out of windows. I was shooting out of doorways, like very much walking around the perimeter of the house. When she would walk into another room, she knew because we had talked about it to like open up the blinds and open the window for me, at least crack it so that I would have access to getting a shot of her in that room. Um, you know, I, and that's a story that like, that was the first time that we've had to do anything like that. But I think we're going to have to do more coverage like that um, moving forward. Um, I shot a lot of it in slow motion in 120 frames per second um, because I knew that like I wanted this to look like an intimate portrait of a woman's life. And for some reason, seeing something in like extreme slow motion, <laughs> it, it depicts, draws you in, you know, it draws you in, but it also feels more like a poetic portrait than anything else, you know? So you start to think even more, it gives you a different perspective on something that looks usually really mundane. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that was, that was what, I mean, that's what we're having to do. You know, you have to consider what, but it's also a lot of, uh, figuring it out on the spot, you know, we're not like a narrative film company or like even a film crew. Really, we're journalists who are trained to do video, so it's it's still there's still some element of running gun. So I show up with my lenses and I have to figure out what works best based on the scenario. So the gear itself isn't what's important. What's important is the the human story that you're trying to capture and the gear is just the tool belt that you have to capture those moments. Right. Right. So now yeah. you've done your research, you understand the story you're trying to tell. You've gone, you've got the shots, you've got the A roll, you've got the slow-mo B roll. And now it's time to put it all together. So when you're in the editing room, if you have an editing room, when you're editing, how much does the editing process impact the story that the viewer is being told? Like, are you crafting a story from the footage and the events that you capture? Or are you just letting the truth kind of speak for itself as much as possible? And one example that, you know, I was kind of, I, I'm, that might help illustrate what I'm trying to ask is, have you seen Tiger King? Oh, man. I haven't watched it yet. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, no. I need to. I was about to watch it last night, but then I got distracted. <laughs> or even uh, like the Michael Jordan doc. Also, haven't watched that. I know I'm a, I'm, you got, you got I'm some a good TV to catch on. To get to catch <laughs> know, up right? on. Yeah, but... But I think, so I, I think I understand the question. Okay. I think it's, um, it is everything that you show is intentional. And even, even if it doesn't look that way. Um, and that doesn't mean running around with the camera and trying to get the most beautiful shots that you can of every situation. Sometimes it can just mean having a wide shot 
and letting things play out, leaving the camera alone and just letting things happen and just watching and waiting. Because, yeah, I mean, the story is ultimately the thing that guides your interest. Um, and you'd be surprised how much story there is, even in little production. But I'm still thinking about what do I, what do I want? It's, it's all like psychological engineering. <laughs> you know, like, what do I yeah. want people to be considering at this point? What do I want them to be curious about at this moment? Um, what am I, what am I making them wait for? Too. There's an element of that. Um, I'm usually when I'm editing, I'm like playing things over and over and over again. And I'm pretending to be somebody else. Um, like I might spend a whole day just editing an intro because every shot, every clip elicits a different emotional reaction. And I need them to flow into each other in a particular way. So I'm really thoughtful about it. It's usually not just like, oh, wow, this ended up being something that like really captures people's attention and makes them think deeply about whatever this subject is without me having to do much work because the story is what it is. It's usually, I mean, the story needs to like usually, hopefully the story is compelling by itself, but it's also like, recognizing that whether, even if you're not editing it very much even if it's minimally like processed and like this you're it's just a clip that you're letting play out for 20 seconds like that's thoughtful too you know yeah does that make sense no of course um i think what i was kind of getting at is you know you have a few different styles of documentaries where you know one style is more strictly observational and you just kind of cut things together in sequence and maybe you have a narrator that's describing the events that are happening and then you have um almost a more how can i say this almost a more narrative style of documentary where even though the events that you're capturing and the situations you're capturing the stories you're captioning are true events you're taking the time to craft those together to kind of weave a web of, as you said, emotion and kind of bringing the viewer down this emotional path from, you know, at this moment, we want them to be intrigued, building into this moment of, you know, shock and to the next moment of, you know, kind of an emotional revelation. So there's a lot more, you know, editing that goes into it to craft this story out of the situation and events that are happening. Mm, yeah most of what we have done has been the latter rather than what we would call like verite documentary style which is observational um because of a variety of limitations um that we have often as like one-man bands or just not even one-man bands sometimes it's just a couple of people on a shoot but the thing about like observational documentary is that you have to spend much more time um you have to be there it it, it it asks an entirely different level of commitment from you because now you're talking about actually embedding yourself into somebody's life possibly for days on end 
for the whole day so that you can capture the moments that are happening as they happen and you don't miss anything. You're also not shooting for the edit. So if I know that there's going to be a cutaway that I'm going to need in order to like bridge a moment in time that doesn't look like um, uh, a jump cut, I would shoot for that, you know? Maybe I'm not going to watch a whole person's or, or film a whole person's speech or even a conversation between two people. Maybe I'm just going to film their hands moving, the, their face, and like some of the things that are happening on like, I don't know, some like shots of the family on the wall, because I know I'm going to need that for the edit. But if I'm doing observational, I need to see that entire scene. I need to see that entire conversation. I need to move back and forth between these two people throughout the whole thing. I can't miss it. And then I'll go back and get the extra stuff later. But I have to spend all that time getting all of that content and then pouring through the content later to figure out which moments I'm going to use, logging each of those moments, and then spending days and days like organizing the moments and then figuring out what's going to work for, for a story. Um, it just takes more time. It takes more work. I think that there's a lot of payoff in doing that and that we're interested in doing more of that content, especially for the second installment of our ballroom series. We wanted to do that, but then the coronavirus happened. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's just tough to uh, commit that level of time sometimes. But I do think that that's how you get into really embedding a, a, a viewer into a person's life to show what things are really like. Um, and I'm very interested in starting to do more of that. Uh, it just is, it just, it just is difficult when you yeah. have multiple stories that you're balancing. Yeah. I guess that's more of a, you know, kind of film studio style of documentary where, you know, those cinematographers are given a team. They're given, you know, they're yeah. loaned the equipment. They're given all the time and resources they need to capture those moments over the course of days, months, or even years. Whereas you guys, mm -hmm. as you said, you're still doing a very kind of run and gun style where you're capturing those, you're still capturing those moments, but you're weaving them together in that story. And it also speaks to mm -hmm. the kind of audience that you guys are catering towards, you know, because it's something you mentioned earlier was attention span and you need to grab the viewer's attention in the first, you know, five to 10 seconds if they're going to watch the rest of the video and invest that time into your story. And that just doesn't lend itself as easily to observational style of documentary. Yeah, I would say that I care. I started off really caring about that. <laughs> um, Obviously, to a certain extent, you have to care because you need to capture people's attention, period. But I was really, really, really thoughtful. when, I, Like, before I came to the Inquirer, I was like, well, do I even really want to do this work? Because, you know, if I want my stuff to go viral, then how much are people going to sit around to watch a nine-minute long, like, film that, like, has a slow build and has these beautiful shots, but that makes you wait? Versus doing something that is quicker, that gets to the point, that's capturing your attention. And where is the value? Um, where should I be placing my value? And ultimately, I decided that I was going to care more about the work. I was going to care more about the quality of the work. And that if that meant placing my bets on people who would rather, who were willing to show patience with the story 
in order for a payoff, then that's what that meant. And even if it meant that it didn't maybe reach as many people, but it had a deep impact on those people that it did reach, that was what I was going to aim for. So, yeah, I mean, I, I that's why I'm always pushing for more long-form content at the Inquirer. I'm always the one who's like, like, especially now, you know, with the coronavirus, like when we first started uh, hunkering down in our homes, you know, we were like, okay, we got to do this. We got to do this story. We got to do this story, this one, this one. We were mobilizing. And now that we've been here for a while and it's clear that this is about the long game, it's more like, okay, we're going to be here. What are the stories that need to be told? How can we do them justice? How can we take our time with these stories? Because this isn't going away tomorrow. Um, you know what I mean? So that like story about the pastor with the child and husband, that is currently sitting at nine minutes. Um, and I'm just fine. The intro before the title card comes on is almost, it's like a minute and a half of me anticipating, me asking a viewer to sit, sit down, watch this, wait, there's going to be a reason why I'm having you wait. I promise that there will be a reason. Um, and I'm okay with that, you know? So it is a balance, but I'm not placing my bets on like the fastest, quickest thing is the thing that needs to be done. With the observational films, the biggest hurdle is audio. They have a, they have a, designated audio person or multiple who can be there to capture all of the sounds that are happening as they're happening. If you're just, just you out there, you got to figure out where you're going to point your mic. Yeah. I mean, especially in today's age where, you know, you have Instagram, you have Instagram TV, you have TikTok, where all that instant gratification content is what's being consumed in large numbers. You know, that's that quick grab, quick story. It's interesting to I, you know, I really like taking a step back and as you said, focusing on the artistry and you said really giving the story justice. And I think that's, you know, really powerful, especially in today's age where, you know, a lot of things are those instant gratification, you know, 90 seconds, quick and dirty. So there is a lot of value to spending that extra time, you know, slowing it down, like, okay, here is, let's, let's, let's explore this, you know, what is the true value behind this? Why is it so important for you to sit down and to listen to this story? And that's something that we don't get a lot anymore, unless, you know, you have a movie. And that's a, that's a commitment. You're like, okay, I'm going to take the time to sit and watch this movie or Netflix show, but everything else kind of falls into those, you know, very long form or, you know, very short form content and finding that middle ground of, you know, it's not a whole hour documentary where you have to sit down, but it also gives the story justice without just getting that quick grab headline. You know, that's something that's not really been explored up until now. So that's really cool to hear about. Mm And that wraps up the third installment of my interview with Rashad. Stay tuned till next week where we wrap this all up by nerding out a little bit about camera gear, 
discussing the importance of audio and music in narrative and short-form documentaries, as well as talking about the differences between traditional print journalism and video journalism. Shoutouts, as always, to Irvin Mayfield and Dr. Prisco for helping me make all this possible. And from our virtual Edison's closet in my bedroom, stay safe, stay healthy, and roll the outro music.